Repeat the topic with me, please, if you would, please. Say, take charge, take charge. and save somebody. Now, I'm going to bother people today because the first thing you're going to say is what my son said to me, who is hilarious when he wants to be. I called him, and I often do this when I'm preaching a sermon, and I said, Ricky, let me ask you a question. I said, uh, and I didn't, I said, son, how have I saved you? What have I done in your life to save you from certain issues? He said, first of all, Jesus saved me. I said, dude, I said, dude, I did not. You know what I'm talking about, Ricky. I'm not talking about I'm your savior. Well, I just want to make it plain that Jesus saved me. Hallelujah. Smart dude. 33 years old and still smart. I'll tell you. But I understood that. But this sermon is not about Jesus saving you or how you come to know Christ or how you get eternal salvation. That's really not the focus of the message. The message is targeted at the issue of you taking charge of your life and going after hurt people, finding a way to help people that are hurting and struggling. Last week, I, I gave you uh, my big question for the week and then three supplemental questions to think about. The big question was, when is the last time you saved, helped, or delivered somebody? When is the last time you personally helped saved or delivered somebody? Who would say you helped them? What, what young person? The supplemental questions I left you with was, who is waiting for you to save them? Is there somebody that really needs you? Who are you trying to save? Can you name the person that you're trying to help? They're in a bad place. Who are you trying to help? What will you give up to save someone? I was talking to a friend, and I'm telling you, your friends tell your story. He was telling me the other day about uh, an, an adoption he did. He adopted this person who had all these issues, and this person was a teenager. It was amazing. And I thought, he told me all the issues they faced, and then he said, and I adopted them, Rick. Did I tell you that? I said, no, you didn't. And my first thought was, why did you do that? Because he wants to help. He saw somebody, and this is a guy who has a, uh, a very successful life, he has a very nice home, just built a new home a few years ago. And uh, I just, I, and, he, and if I can just be candid, can I just really be, can I say all I want to say? He's white. And he's uh, adopted somebody who's not white, a teenager. And he said, I want you uh, to come into my life. And he brought him into his home and saved him, saved him. Gave him an opportunity. Now, somebody else could have done it. Don't get upset. You didn't do it, so leave him, leave him alone. The point, the point is, he did it. And I was so touched by it because I thought, do I have that same go after, help somebody attitude? Do I have the attitude? You know, it's easy to talk. You know, a lot of us, we get in these conversations, you know, well, young black man and young white, you know, young black man and blah, blah. But what are you doing? What, what, what young black man? I don't think you have the right to say anything if you can't name one black man you've tried to help. Not one. And let's start with your cousin who's crazy. Come on, say man. Let's start with your young nephew. What one, can we see one finger? One? Do you have one? Come on. I want to see your finger. One? What one person have you touched? What one individual that you can name that would stand up here and say, this person came into my life and saved me, helped me. They took me to another place. 
It's so important for you to understand the power of that. Now, let me theologically put a couple things in place so everybody's clear, so that everybody understands understand the Bible, okay? Ready? First of all, let's understand who saves and who helps. Come on, say who saves, who saves. and who helps. Who Jesus saves. Let's be clear. Matthew 121. He will save, he will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sin. He will save his people from their sin. Now that's clear. And then the next second part of that is John 3:16, which is in the message version of the Bible there. I didn't make that note for you, but it says, This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his only, his one and only son. You remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, same verse, but in the message version. And this is why, so that no one need to be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life, John 3, 16. That is clear to me. Jesus saves. God saves. I don't save anybody. I don't have the power to eternally save you. But I do believe that I'm a, help. I'm a helper. Come on, say, we help people. Come on. We help save people, and there's a verse in James 5 I always found fascinating because in James 5, there's this great simple statement made. It goes like this. Brethren, in verse 19, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, if someone, if somebody, if one person, someone, if one person turns that person around that's on the wrong road, if one person goes after that nephew, that cousin, that friend, that neighbor, if one person does that, the Bible says, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way, will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Come here, boy, what are you doing? Come here, son, what you doing? What's that? No, come in. I mean, you don't have to do that. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. What do you need? If, if one person reached out, you see it. But instead of being running from our young people, we should be running to them. We should be embracing them. We shouldn't just watch them commit crimes. In this town, there are probably five to 600 people who commit most of the crimes. So says the police department to me in a couple of conversations I've had. It's amazing. In some of the leadership sessions I've had with leaders in our town, they can identify uh, people who will. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but in prison, it's, I think it's like 80% of them are dropouts. It's huge. Huge. I mean, it, if you want to see a link, let a kid drop out of school between eighth and ninth grade that kid will almost, without question, end up in prison. So why don't we make it illegal to drop out? Why don't we go after them? Why don't we make it, why don't we make it very hard to drop out? Why don't we make, create systems? But we don't have that kind of will. See, there's something about talking that people enjoy. They enjoy, you know, giving speeches and all of that. You know, I went to one of these town hall meetings, and, and I sat there, and, and I didn't say anything. And, and, and people kept looking at me like, well, aren't you going to say something? I said, no, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to do something. While you talk, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm going to listen, but I plan, when I leave here, I plan to go find me one or two or three or four or five. I plan to help somebody go to college. I plan to help somebody find a job. I plan to make a difference. And so to me, that, that is what this verse is all about in, in James 5, 19. Go save someone and turn them from the error of their ways. Now, there are five things that you need if you want to be that kind of person, though. If you want to help somebody, I believe there are five attributes you need. Number one, you need to be, repeating with me, please. Say caring, caring going, going, giving, giving dying, dying, loving. Dying. Do you care? Do you care? 
I, I think one of the things that's sad is that we're developing a very selfish culture. It's all about us. That's why I really like Christmas, by the way. I just say this. I love, I love it. Some people really get all bent out of shape. You know, I want to say this because make sure you, you got a tree in the church. Here, show my tree. Here, zoom in on my tree. I got me a tree in the church. Praise God. And they're all upset. Yeah, I don't celebrate Christmas. What's wrong with a tree? Ain't nothing but a tree. And it's not even a real tree. Jesus died on a tree. It's a tree. Romans 14 says, if I want to celebrate the day, I can celebrate the day. I'm going to just go a little further. Well, Jesus didn't die on Christmas. That's true. When did he die? Sometime in the spring. I'm sorry, I didn't say die. Wrong time. When did he born? He was born sometime in the spring. Let me tell you something. I get all that. I get all that. That don't mean, that don't mean that, that's the, that we pick the day. You need me any money more. Here's the day and there we go. So what? <laughs> you get all bent out of shape, all holy because you don't celebrate Christmas. Bah humbug to you. What's wrong with you? What, what's the big deal? You get, it ain't about gifts. It's about Christ. I know. I love Christ, but I want some gifts. Amen. I want some gifts. Now, I get that. I want some gifts. I agree. I understand we go too far, but then we go too far the other way, too. We become Scrooges. God don't care that you celebrate Christmas. He don't care. He doesn't care that you give away gifts. Some of you need to give because you don't give no other time of the year. You need to give something. <laughs> you think about people. Think about it. For the first time, you sit down and say, okay, okay. You had not even seen your cousin. I'm going to get them. That's nice. Don't go broke doing it. You know, don't, don't do that now. Uh-uh, praise the Lord. I, I'm not doing that now, but I, I do believe I like gifts, and I'll tell you right now, I'm offended when Christmas comes if they don't have something for me. <laughs> I want something under the tree. Amen. Amen. Why? Because, I, it, you know, it, it's wonderful. You know, we have this tradition, you know, we open our gifts, and we throw the trash behind us. It's, it's a mess. Oh, it's wonderful. We do. We open the gifts, and all the trash is everywhere. We always throw it behind us. We can't wait till Milani grows up and show Here, baby, throw it behind you. Wham! When, when, uh, when uh, Monica first got in the family, her first Christmas with us, and she just said, so um, what are we doing? We're making a big mess. I said, yeah, that's what we do every Christmas. We clean it up later, but we take everything and we open it. We go, yes! Hallelujah. A Nintendo, wonderful, whatever it is. What, there's nothing wrong and I understand you got to be balanced, and I'm not saying be extreme. It can be one gift. I don't care what it is. I'm just saying there's something about having a caring spirit. I love you. I want to demonstrate this to you. I want to show you some kindness. I want to embrace you. I think it's wonderful. And I think a lot of times people are not caring enough, caring enough, reaching enough. I think you need to be caring, going, giving, dying, loving. Go make an effort. That means you have to reach out to people. You have to be the person who gives. I believe the whole giving idea is designed to, to teach you a lot about yourself. There's nothing like giving that changes everything. And then, th fourthly, dying. That point where you said, I'm going to die to myself. Die to my own way. It's not about what I want. It's what we need. And then lastly, loving. The Bible says something profound about Christ. He came and loved us in Romans chapter 5, when we were not lovable. We hadn't done anything to earn it. He came to save us when we were lost. I love this. I want you to notice, I put a note here for you in the Message Bible. It says, Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get what? Ready. You ever say, I got to get ready. God says, oh, please. You're not, you're, I, I have to come to you before you're ready. 
I was talking to the men about this in our men's session before this, and we were talking about this whole idea of um, a father and the value a father brings and how a father can save a whole family. And some of the guys told these incredible stories about my father was an alcoholic and my father was not there. And they talked about how horrible it was and their childhood sometimes to watch their father and they vowed they would not be like that. And it was so profound. I, you know, as we're talking, I thought, you know, G God doesn't wait for us to get it. God loved us when we couldn't get it, when we couldn't understand. And sometimes in your life and dealing with people, you have to look beyond where they are. One of my friends said something that was so profound. He said, my dad was wise enough to look beyond our immaturity to see that we needed it anyway. Sometimes your kids don't get it. Sometimes you need to call even when they don't want you to call. You need to visit when they don't need you to visit. You need to reach out to them because you understand. How many of you know I'm telling the truth? Say amen. God so loved us, he came when we were not lovable, when we didn't want him. So look, look at verse 6 again. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We were a mess. So I want to tell you sometimes, parents, you, you just have to look beyond what you see. You have to understand that sometimes loving beyond and reaching out and saying, listen, I know you don't get it, but I'm going to be loving anyway. I didn't say you were going to endorse bad behavior. I didn't say you were going to tolerate anything. I just simply said you have to be loving enough to see beyond. There are people sometimes I deal with, and I can tell they don't get it. They're not going to get it. And they're not going to get it for a while. But I can't allow that to stop me. There are people who think they should be the center of your attention. And you can't make them the center of your attention. You have to draw the line and say, listen, I can't talk any longer about this. No, I can't give you any more money. No, I can't. You have to be loving enough to see beyond what they see. But I think what's powerful in this Romans 5 verses, it says he did it. In, in the King James, it says, when we were weak and without strength, when we were weak and without strength, Christ died for us. And I think there's something powerful about understanding the power of God loving you where you are and God embracing you and God giving you a chance. When you were not weak, you were in the club, you were living your own life, you were getting high, you were doing whatever you wanted to do, but he loved you. Can you say amen? amen. Now, the last question for today is why is it so hard to save some people? Now, there are some people you try to save, there are some people you try to help, and it's just, it's just, it seems like it's almost impossible. And I love the fact that God's really honest about some people not being, I, I talked about it last year, blessable. That there's some people that no matter what you say, they're not. And I gave you five reasons why I think some people will not be savable. Some people you can't save right now, maybe later in life as they change. And this is a question I was asked earlier this week. They said, you know, well, are there people that can't be saved? I said, as long as they resist, they can't be saved. That's really what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit's about. A person speaking evil of the help. It's kind of like you're reaching your hand up to help them, and they're cursing you out. Well, I can't save you as long as you're doing that, you see. So let me give you the five reasons why I think some people are hard to save. Number one, they don't think they are lost. They really believe they're fine. Can you go back in your mind and remember a season when you were lost but didn't know it? Have you ever 
been in a mindset and you look back and you thought, I can't believe I thought that way. As a matter of fact, I was talking to Diane the other day about how I believe there were layers in my life where God wanted to bless me in certain ways, but the way I thought prevented him from doing that. So he had to peel off this layer. That took a year. To peel off that layer, that took another year. Took a, then I, the friends, I had to peel off some friends. And then finally, I was at a place where I could hear what he wanted from my life. So there are times when I was lost and didn't know I was lost. There were times I had attitudes and, and feelings and, and expectations that were unrealistic. I expected people to bring me things. Some of you right now, you're trying to meet some famous person that's going to make you famous. You're wasting your time. You can, you're not going to meet somebody that's going to discover you and make you famous. I, I'm not saying that people don't get a great break. I'm not saying that people haven't met people and it changed their life and, and catapulted their career. But their career didn't stay catapulted because they met somebody. You have to understand that. You, I, I don't believe that you should, you should think that if, if, and I used to believe this, some of this. I really, I believe in networking. I believe in interacting with people. But I've really come at 57, after years, 34 years of pastoring, I've come to understand, Temple, you need to learn how to do some things for yourself. You need to learn how to not expect an, uh, people to get you to a place. I have a responsibility. And so what I work on is making sure I'm not, I'm not confused, that I'm not lost pursuing something that's not really reasonable. I, I hear young people, and I don't want to dash anybody's dreams, but uh, you're just not reasonable in the way you think. For example, did you know that 78% of uh, NFL players in five years after they retire are broke? Did you know that 60% of NBA players after five years after retirement are in bankruptcy? You know that? They're broke. Now, how could that be? And they made $100 million, they made $50 million, they made $60 million. It's because th there were areas of their life where they were lost and didn't know it. There were areas in their thinking. There, and, and they talk about it. I'm going to post this uh, uh, clip that I found. It's a wonderful uh, interview that talks about this. Uh, but I, I just think it's amazing how people get lost. And I look at myself and say, man, you know, I, I can't believe several years, not just a few months, but years upon years, I had financial attitudes. I had personal views. That's why next year I'm going to talk about hope. I want you to say the theme for next year. You ready? You know, I always ask one big question every year. And so would you repeat with me, please? Say, why am I here? Why am I here? And what is my purpose? What is my, purpose? my plan is to talk about that starting next month. And I want to challenge you to look at why you're here and what's your purpose. I believe that God's called me to be a dad. I believe that there are certain things that come that comes with being a dad, being a pastor. And there were layers where I, I really didn't understand that until God began to peel back the layers. And I got lost on certain rabbit trails that I didn't need to get lost on. I, I, I was chasing certain emotional dreams that God didn't want me to chase. And I, I, you know, I realized that God just really wanted to help me, but I, I needed time. And some of you right now are in a place where you are lost, and you won't find out you're lost for another five or ten years because of the way you think. You've got to have a man. You've got to have a man. If you don't have a man, you ain't whole. So every day, you're talking about finding a man. You found a man? I'm looking for one. You got you one? I'm getting me one. It's about a woman. It's about hooking up with somebody. It's always about being with somebody. And it's not some, some of these brothers, it's not until baby number three, four, until they stand before the fifth judge, and he tells them they got to pay more money it's not until they go down to, down to the Department of, of, of Health, I won't say why, go down there for a reason, 
at one day you wake up and you say, you know, I'm on the wrong road. This is the wrong road. Now you're going to be asked, what do you say about the Department of Health? Don't ask me. Um, but if you, it just takes, it takes for some people a, a while to realize that you're lost. And you can't save them, catch this, until they realize it. You can't help them. You can't help them. As long as he thinks that's okay to steal from people and rob people, you can't help him. You know, that's why you have, to, you have to be honest about who I can save. It's hard to save people. I tell the story oftentimes because it was one of the most amusing testimonies I've ever heard in my life. I've said it too many times in church, but this guy told me he was stealing stuff. He used to be a robber. He used to break in people's houses and stuff. He told me, Pastor Rick, I'm doing so good because I'm only stealing small things now. <laughs> he was serious. He said, I steal stickers, and uh, he was testifying. That was his testimony. <laughs> praise the Lord. I guess I'm supposed to praise the Lord with you. I guess. Hallelujah. Only small thing. That's true. I'm not making that up. That was, that was amazing. He told me that. Number, 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 um, number two, uh, why, why it's hard to save some people? Because they like the land they live in. They like the land they live in. They, they like it. You can get used to a gumbo flavor, and you like it. You like being aggressive. You like being, you like being forceful. You like, and, I, and I really think it's, you have to be careful what you train your kids to like. You, you don't understand. For example, if you yell at them all the time, and you're aggressive, and you're, I beat you. You do all that. That's in the gumbo flavor. And so they grow up liking that. That tastes good to them. A little bit of violence, a little bit of strife, good. And so when they get in a relationship that doesn't have it, they create it because that's what they, they're used to. That's why you look at them and say, are you picking a fight? No, yes, you are. All you have to do is go hang around their family, and you see they're all like that. They all drink from the same gumbo. Are you with me? And so it becomes a flavor. And here's the hard part, parent. The essence of who you are is the flavor that gets in the gumbo. The saved version, the unsaved version, the version you're fighting, all that's in the gumbo. And that's why you see it in your children. And it hurts you sometimes. If you are a roaming eye person, it's in the flavor. They, you think the kids don't stay live with you. They taste this. It's the essence of who you are. And, and it's painful for parents to watch their kids have this tendency. You get high to, to medicate your issues. That's why they do drugs. They don't see a difference. We medicate our pain. We don't confront it. We medicate it. That's why your son will never be faithful to his wife. The, your, your, grand, listen to me, your grandson will never know what it's like to have a faithful father in the house because you're not. It's in the gumbo. It's in the, they like the taste of it. It's there. They drink, they drink this. This is how they become the way they are. And sometimes it's really difficult for us to see that. It's hard for us to realize that they, they like the land they live in. Thirdly, it's hard to say people that, that only know lost people. They don't know anybody that's different. For some of you, just being in this environment is a different experience. That's why I believe God created church. He created this experience. He wanted you to have fellowship. 
whether it be small or large. There's something about knowing people. My friends, I'm telling you, they changed my life. They broadened my vision. They broadened my view of the world. I, I, can't, I can't think, this is just me. You ready? I'm just going to just, just, just travel with the pastor. I believe black lives matter, but I know some Filipinos too. So you go to Indonesia, and Indonesian lives matter too. And they got issues that are far greater in some ways. I'm not disparaging our history. I understand it. I'm, I'm, I get it. Don't, don't, don't do the dance on me. I'm just simply saying, because you live in a world where you only know people who look like you and who have issues that you have historically, you don't know anybody else's issues. And so you don't care. Really think about, you're not caring, loving toward those people. There's a tremendous amount of pain around the world. Did you know that 34,000 people, this conversation I had yesterday, a friend of mine is so proud, he said 34,000 people a year Ricky died because of terrorism. Not just, not just 14. 34,000. And he said most of those are in Africa. Boko Haram, I think is the name of the group, they kill more than anybody. Nigeria and those places, they've killed th thousands of people. It's an African, med an African group, black folks. An Islamic group that is extreme. Did you know that 100,000 people a year are brought into the United States as sex slaves? 100,000 a year, they estimate. Care about that? See, I want you to understand, if you're not thinking about that stuff, if you're not thinking about this island that's in, the, in the Pacific, that's, I think in the Pacific, that's, that's sinking because, of, because the, the waters are warming and the water's starting to rise and they may have to eventually evacuate the whole, whole country because of that, you know, you, you, you care about that? See, so you don't care about climate change. You don't care about, that's why people think Christians are narrow-minded. That's why they think we are not as effective. There's a book called You Lost Me by Kinnerman. You Lost Me. And part of it is the argument that this generation does not care. You lost them. You lost me by Kinnerman. You lost me because you don't care. You, know, you don't care about science. You don't care about, you don't want to be questioned. All you want to do is tell people to get saved and come to Jesus and shout. That's all you care about. You don't care about anything else. And you want to raise money and build more churches and build more space. I think it's fine to do those things. But if you don't care about the world, I want you to hear me. Why would somebody want to be like you? Why would somebody want to be, why would you want to follow me so you can what? I mean, give me a break. I don't, believe, I don't believe that you should. You have an appreciation for me next week, which I thank you for. God bless you. Amen. I'll, I'll be there and smiling. Thank you. Give my roses while I'm living. Amen. But I, I don't think that you should appreciate a guy who only cares about himself. I don't think that's what we do. I think you should appreciate people, but we should be people who care beyond ourselves. And there's something profound that happens when you do. Let me get through these reasons. Number one, they don't think they are lost. Number two, they like the land they live in. Number three, they only know lost people. They don't know anybody else. <laughs> they don't know anybody else that could challenge their thinking or broaden their minds. They know people who think like them, talk like them, say what they say, use the same religious language they use. And so they don't know anything else. Number four, they have a blinded belief system. Say that with me, please. Come on. They have a blinded belief system. And number five, they don't respect the sermon, the season of their life. They don't respect the seasons of their life. Now, I want to take you on a journey that's kind of a sneak peek into next week. I'm going to give you a two-sermon preview, really brief, like five minutes. And I want you to think with me about what I'm going to talk about next week. Next week, I'm talking about taking charge of what you believe. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Taking charge of what you believe. 
I believe that some people cannot be saved, cannot be helped, cannot be touched because they, the way they believe. Your belief systems affect everything. It affects everything you do. And I think until God can change your beliefs, until you bring your beliefs and say, you know, I, I thought this, but now I see that. I was wrong. There's something that transpires in your life. But the second sermon, that's, that's going to be next week's sermon. The sermon following that is when I really want you to pay attention to it. And I gave you a little, little clues. You can look, at, look it up, what I call a read ahead, and, and um, kind of pray with me before the next two weeks. But I'm going to talk about the danger of misjudging a season. Judas had a season of 3.5 years, and I talked about this last week, to make up his mind. And he didn't. Did you know that Peter had a season of seven years from, from, from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 10? There was a seven-year period between those chapters where God was trying to help Peter broaden his view of Gentiles. He only wanted to touch Jews. And in chapter 10, seven years after Christ had ascended, he had to send a vision to Peter to get him to consider going to touch Gentiles seven years later. Now, what's really amazing is Peter was running out of time. The season to touch a broader audience was at hand, but Peter wasn't emotionally ready. Seven years had gone by. He thought, I assumed that, you know, he could just stay the way he was. But here's what can happen. Seasons can change and you can stay the same. And if seasons change and you stay the same, your marriage will not make it. If seasons change and you stay the same, God will have to go beyond you which takes me to seven years beyond Peter in chapter 12. Between chapter 10 and chapter 12, seven more years pass. And here's what's interesting. When that happens, Paul steps onto the stage as the leader, and he starts his first missionary journey. And the most amazing thing is this happens because Peter couldn't do it. Paul became the main voice to the Gentiles because Peter could not embrace the new ethnic season. Peter's main role ends in Acts chapter 12, thereabouts. He's mentioned in chapter 15, but his main role ends, and it's because 14 years have gone by, and you still haven't gotten it. From Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 12, 14 years goes by. And so at some point, God moves beyond you because you won't recognize the season. Churches have to understand the seasons have changed. Pastors have to understand people aren't going to just come into the building. Things change. You know, I, I watched this. Love this hand in that chair, would you please? I want to show you something. I thought about this the other day. You know, I was, um, I used to, when I was younger, I noticed something that's changed in me seasonally. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. When I was younger, I used to get up, and I didn't think about it. You ever did this? Just jump up. Bam. You just get up. Don't even think about it. Just don't even think about it. You, just, you know something? You see something? You know, child falling. Boom, run over there real fast and get them. Not when you get older. You send an email first, let me tell you right now. <laughs> and, you know, and you know, you send a little email down to your knees and your back, so I'm about to jit up, and they say, for what? I got to catch the baby. The baby's tough. He'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It's like rubber. They'll bounce right back. You Get up like that. You know, you have to telegraph and send a message and say, okay, I plan to get up here in a few seconds. And then they have to agree. And if you don't, it's the, oh, whoa, something hurts you. I told you to give me more time. <laughs> what? 
the seasons, the seasons change. And that's even if you work out. I tell you. Some of you say, Pastor Rick, are you telling the telegraph right now? You're going to get up? Yes, I'm sending the email right now. <laughs> you got the message? Did you learn something today? Praise God. Father, I thank you today for the word of God and for the time with your people. And I pray what we've talked about has been helpful. I pray they leave this place in this last hour and 22 minutes and they've learned something. They've been inspired. And the hand of God has given them a new place to begin. Help us to reach out and save somebody. Help somebody. Help us to understand that it, it doesn't matter if I'm just changed myself, but if I haven't helped change a life, what does it really matter? I pray for people in this room who don't know you, Savior, who've never given their lives to you, who've never said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life from this moment forward. I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Today I pray that you would touch us. I pray that your hand of grace would strengthen us. And I pray that we would leave this place saying, I now have a new relationship with God. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Ricky, I realize that I need to start a relationship with God. You said that Jesus is the one who saves. God saves me. I, I need you. If you want me to pray for you because you know that's what you need, I want you simply to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I see your hand. Anybody else? Say, pray for me, Pastor. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Anybody else? I think I see 12. Anybody else? Pray for me. 13. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. That's me. That's me. I want you to pray a prayer for me. I want you to pray. Father God, I pray for these who raise their hands and many who raise their hearts today. I pray this will be the beginning of a brand new day, a brand new touch in their life. I pray that the power of the living God would bring healing and blessing. And I praise you and thank you for all the lives that have been touched today. I pray for those who are here and those who are home watching that they would leave this place today saying, I need, I need in Jesus' name to be saved. I need in Jesus' name to be delivered. My life is not going in the right direction. Now I want to pray, Lord, for those who know somebody that needs to be saved. If you know somebody that you have in your mind, a name in your mind that needs to be helped, they're lost and don't know they're lost, I want you to raise your hand. I want to know who you are. Put your hand up. Get, up. get somebody in your mind. If you know somebody, say, I, I don't know how I can reach them, but I know somebody. Father, I pray for all these who know somebody, have somebody in their mind who's lost. Let them find a way, just, even if it's just through prayer and being a positive influence, touch the lives of those people. We pray for them to be touched in some way. May there be testimonies that people rose up and were touched. People who I had in mind on this Sunday that may God's hand deliver and bless them, we declare in Jesus' name. For those who are here, those who are home, those who are on demand, wherever they are, touch them, we pray. May the same power that we feel in this room be with them in their home, wherever they are, in their car. May you touch that person they have in mind in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen.